Hello, 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 hello. How are we all doing out there in filmmaker land? Hope you're doing very well and very, being very productive and going to see lots of movies at Diff. Um, yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite times of the year. A lot of movies, a lot of workshops, a lot of uh, different events going on um, for filmmakers in Dublin and film lovers so yeah it's a great time of year and it's a good time for the podcast uh, so you're going to see a bit of a glut of uh, content over the next while um, we're going to be putting out a good bit over the next few weeks we've got uh, some diff podcasts and a uh, uh, couple of kind of releases and things like that and we're getting very close to our 100 mark uh, so we want to do something kind of special for that um so we're work we have some things in the works so uh bear with us and keep your ears peeled um also a big shout out to everyone who came along to the uh pull focus event uh that paul put on uh film network for film network ireland uh great night uh great numbers um just brilliant buzz uh so yeah really uh Really, yeah, great night, and we hope to be doing more stuff like that. Um, so if you missed that one, uh, just keep an ear out, and we'll uh, get you at the next one. Uh, so today we have uh, Derry O'Brien, a distributor of uh, TV and shorts uh, internationally. Um, uh, Derry has been in the game for a long time and uh, has made a lot of deals and uh, has seen a lot of short films so uh, it was great to get his insight into Irish filmmakers and Irish shorts um, so yeah it was a really good chat uh, a lot of people will be familiar with Derry's work and uh, yeah he's just he's, <laughs> he's an absolute gentleman uh, so it was brilliant to have him on so let's go to that conversation Derry O'Brien, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Could you tell us about Network Ireland and what you do? Um, yes, I'm happy to be here today, lads. Um, You're very good, thank you. Network Ireland was set up 25 years ago, um, 1995, and um, we set up as a an English-language programme distribution company. Um, I had previously worked... Uh, in EMI Records in uh, Dominic Street for three years as marketing manager there and I'd gone into the Irish Trade Board following that and um, I uh, was involved in the international services sector for a few years and we helped set up the Ireland on screen stand at the Cannes uh, television markets twice a year at MIP and MIPCOM, and in 1991 we launched, uh, in April 91, we launched at MIP TV the first uh, um, Ireland on screen stand, and we didn't really realise it at the time, but it was the first north-south marketing venture undertaken on behalf of any industry sector, and um, we had 15 companies on the stand for the first time, representing the entire country. Five of those companies were from Northern Ireland and were sponsored by Ledu, which was a small business um, support agency, and the Irish Trade Board and the Ireland Fund were the other partners in the project. And after five or six years of working um, on the stand and helping the industry to market their programming internationally, um, I saw an opportunity to actually set up a professional sales and marketing company to re represent the output of the sector here because I used to see wonderful projects go through the stand, uh, say in April every year, and then comes October, I go and meet the producers and I'd say, whatever happened that wonderful documentary that you had, um, that you were promoting the last time you were here and they'd say oh we got back home and we got so involved in doing other productions we didn't have time to follow up and so it became obvious that there was um, 
a need for an agency that could focus on sales and marketing internationally and bring the programming to the international market on behalf of the producers. And that's what we started in 1995 with uh, the support and having a partner, uh, Brian Waddell Associates from Belfast, who had approached me about setting up a business. He said uh, to develop projects and bring them to market. And I said, look, the only problem with that, Brian, is trying to cash flow the business for the first two years if the projects, you know, have to uh, take their time to get established. I said, why don't we set up a a sales and marketing company representing output of uh, production companies here and um, bring in uh, a development arm later on if it's if it's seen as important. And that's what we did. We still haven't really anything to talk about in terms of a development arm, but we really have, um, I think, brought uh, a professionalism to this side of the business and have probably represented most of the big production companies' output uh, over the years, even if it's a documentary here, a television series there. So um, that's when we started. And one of the first things we did, uh, we looked around. We didn't have any drama available to us because at the time, the only drama output was whatever RTE was commissioning. And they were 100% commissions. And in those days, the, the, um, the funder owned 100% the international rights for the programmes. Okay. Um, so so there was the, no business there? For, no. Yeah, right. There was no access. Uh, so the only avenue open to us was short films. And I had helped a, a few um, short filmmakers uh, when I was with the trade board um, over the, the previous three or four years. And I was aware of some of the films that were floating around, the short films that weren't available internationally. And we started working with some of those companies um, one of which was um, Lenny Abramson's uh, film Three Joes, which uh, I think we s- we accessed through Ed Guiney, um, who had worked with Lenny, a new Lenny from Trinity College, and um, just a year after we set up in '96, the Irish Film Board started funding shortcuts, and it was the first ever. Uh, short film scheme where they were commissioning I think it was six short films every every year and those shorts were up to 30 minutes long because they had the belief at the time that they should be making shorts that ran to a television half hour mm. um, and we were lucky enough to be able to represent those shorts uh, over the next 15 years and did that, that running time, did that suit you at the time? It was the way the system worked at the time, but, um, you know, we know now that's not really the ideal length for some of the short films were, or some of the broadcasters to whom were selling short films. Mm. And um, I can go into that in greater detail later on, if you like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's how we kicked it off. And we have had documentaries, television series and so on. Because you need, um, what's the word, a critical mass of programming to be able to maintain a decent sales revenue on a consistent basis over, you know, any length of time. And you couldn't survive on the sales of short films alone. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, what is your, what does your kind of business model look like as a, as a company? And what kind of projects are you looking for? We've got a very mixed bag of programming. Um, we still get about 30% of our revenue from short films. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sales manager, Sive Murphy, is heading to Clermont-Ferrand on Sunday uh, for the big television market there that they have every year. And in three days, she will meet about 15 of our key 
buyers from Europe and elsewhere and introduce them to our new programming. We've about 20 new films that we have judiciously uh, selected over the past 12 months, um, some of which are still finishing their festival runs, but um, a number of them have already done the festivals and are available to be sold to broadcasters, to streaming uh, platforms and so on. Um, so that's one element of our business. The other side of it is um, TV series. We have represented a series called What in the World? I don't know if you're aware of it. It's made by Pather, um, Pather King in Cork. I think we're into the 18th series of it now. Okay. And it's current affairs, but it's on the ground reporting by Pather in um, countries all over the world where there are particular crises that the population are facing. And um, it's very much the stories told directly by the people on the ground who are experiencing these difficulties. And that's been selling to, you know, various outlets, not, I'd say, widely, but there are key... um, broadcasters who always select uh, at least four out of every six half hours that we present with, uh, to them every year. We have another series called What in the World, uh, which is a science series, which again, we can sell um, to some key broadcasters on a continuous basis. Um, we have some long form series from New Zealand called Both Worlds, which is um, really a a sort of a program about diversity and um, people from different ethnic backgrounds coming into New Zealand and having to settle there and so on. And that's been particularly popular outside Ireland. Uh, We've even sold that to China. I'm not sure what the Chinese see in it particularly but uh, <laughs> you know it's always surprising to see some of the some of the uh, countries that actually go for this type of material. Are yeah. you surprised by are you surprised by that when you see new markets dipping in for stuff like that? Yeah I would never have thought that would be a place where that series could mm. end up mm. but um, yeah no it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting and I think you know that's one of the the lessons we've learned over the years, no matter how diverse and maybe how niche some of the programming seems, if it's properly made, if it's a really well-produced program and it has a point of view uh, that's particularly strong, then, you know, there can be uh, an interest in the most unusual, unlikely uh, countries Mm. for this type of uh, show. Um, And we've... uh, We've also represented over the years some of the best, you know, documentary output from the producers here. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of which we're known for. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And can you, so if you've had a documentary on, say, RT or TGR or one of the broadcasters, can that filmmaker bring that to you or is it, is it complicated? Or how does, how does the relationship work with the filmmakers? Well, s- since about five years ago, the terms of trade here have changed and the filmmakers, documentary makers mm. who are sponsored or who are commissioned by RTE or TG Car or Virgin to make documentaries or um, even magazine programs or cookery shows, uh, the filmmakers own the rights now, the international rights to those programs. And... Obviously, it's in their interest to try and find a distributor who will bring in uh, incremental revenue, as they would see it, mm. for that show. So that, you know, there's a, a bit more than just the RTE production uh, budget mm. that they'd have gotten for the, manu- for the making of that program. Mm. Um, so, yes, the, the filmmakers and program makers are free to go to an outside third party distributor. How has streaming platforms changed, radically changed, how you do business? We've been hearing for the last five years about streaming platforms and the long tail and the fact that 
um, you know, a, a, a program that might have, or a short film, for instance, that might originally have had a shelf life of two, three years max, and then end up on the shelf with nowhere to go, um, could actually have a far longer shelf life through uh, the new streaming platforms and so on. And we always heard this and said, well, yeah, it'd be great when this kicks in because we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the magic fairy dust everybody's been talking about? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but I'd say about two years ago, we started um, systematically finding um, streaming outlets for our program output. Are we all right, lads? With the, it, no, just, yeah. A little <laughs> bit of helicopter noise. It seems to be right Yeah, they're coming the together. <laughs> probably might not it's, pick it's that It's the up. Common Decency uh, Brigade. No worries. Good morning, Vietnam. So we uh, we've work now with a, a, a select group of these platforms, and you have to be selective because they are now coming out of the woodwork, and we have companies coming to us every day saying, we have a wonderful new streaming platform, and we'd love your programming on it or your films on it, and you will get a rev share. We'll give you 50% of what we generate. Uh, we don't have any money to give you advances or to mm. guarantee uh, oh, okay. sales. What What if the, these companies don't divulge as much information? Uh, there, there seems to be not maybe as much clarity or transparency in terms of what's being viewed, what territories it's being viewed in. It's we, kind of skewed, I guess, right? Well, that, they're the sort of Netflix of this world. I didn't want to <laughs> name drop them specifically, but yeah, that kind of, in those... How difficult is it dealing with somebody who's not... Well, the guys we deal with mostly, and we haven't really done business with Netflix, we know people in Netflix and we send them programming to look at, and we usually get a very quick no from them, which is, you know, as much as we would expect or we'd, we'd want it's better to get a quick no than a mm. delayed maybe mm. um, mm-hmm. but we've worked with a company out of San Francisco called Canopy K-A-N-O-P-Y I don't know if anyone knows them and they're a specialist education uh, streaming platform they service the um, college libraries university libraries and the public libraries Originally in just the States, but now they've gone into the UK and Ireland. They've gone into Australia, New Zealand. And we, uh, we originally started very small with them. We sort of said, well, you know, why don't you take a look at our 12 Oscar-nominated shorts, our Oscar-winning shorts, and put them out as a package on your, uh, on your s- platform and see what reaction you get. Mm-hmm. And some of these films would go back to uh, 2008. Um, You know, uh, the filmmakers would probably have not received any revenue for them for the last five years. Um, But uh, starting small, as I say, with this package, uh, we've been able to grow that business and we're now sort of getting revenues on a quarterly basis from Canopy and they break everything down. We see a complete royalty statement. Mm -hmm. We see breakdown by country so we can see who in Australia is looking at uh, Boogaloo and Graham or whatever the short film is. And it's fascinating to get the feedback we get as detailed as we get it and the revenues broken out by country, by title. So... It helps. I mean, we need that information anyway to reconcile mm. sales with our clients. Yeah. But some of the guys can't believe that they're now seeing 10 and 12 years after the film. Yeah, what, what's been happening had in the meantime? Yeah. Exactly. Has had its best success. They're seeing revenues on a quarterly basis that would compare with a couple of decent sales previously to some of the big European broadcasters. Yeah. And you know, as I say, um, it's a it's a constant surprise to get the uh, the next royalty statement and see, you know, how strong some of these films just continue to perform. Mm. But I think partly it's because they haven't been available in 
to this market in the past. I mean, you'd, you'd see, you know, Canal Plus or Arte might have bought short films from us and still continue to buy short films from us. But some of the Oscar, early Oscar films from us. And after two years, their license would be up and there'd be no follow through. Mm-hmm. And the film might still be on iTunes if you could find it. But um, wh- where you go into Canopy, you go into a library in the States that has a deal with Canopy and you can either access in the library itself or through your computer at home the complete library of titles that they have um, licensed. Mm. And, you know, I think it just proves the point that if if you build it, they will come. If you mm. uh, allow these films to be available in an easy format, um, an accessible format, then uh, there's an interest in them. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what our friend... Uh, Katzenberg does when Quibi is launched in March. I don't know if you know anything about it. Yeah, I've heard about it, yeah. What is that? Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I, is a dedicated streaming platform for short-form content. Mm -hmm. And what he's done is he's put a billion dollars into the launch of this platform. And he's already... Paul Paul Dwan brought this up um, on the previous episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he's he's a license. He's commissioned a bunch of Hollywood A-listers to produce short-form content for him, and it means that you'll get a series of maybe ten episodes of ten minutes an episode. Mm. It won't be unlike what RT are playing on the player at the moment. State of the Union. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, if you can play the player, by the way, it breaks every fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. This is with the Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd yeah, and yeah. Emily Mortimer. Mm-hmm. written by Nick Hornby, directed by Stephen Frears. Mm. So, I mean, the pedigree is amazing. Yeah. And their 10-minute conversations in a pub are... Yeah. yeah. I, going guess, I guess they're, they're, they're experiment, experimenting with, with, with obviously new platforms and different ways of watching content, mm. but also in terms of our attention spans. Yeah, exactly. And how people consume media. Now. Which, good or a bad idea, do you think? Well, I think he's right. I think we we always heard going back against the beginning of streaming and mobile phones, uh, you know, that um, people would want entertainment snacks Mm. rather than be able to watch an hour program or a half hour program. Yeah. And um, his feeling is that has only intensified with the younger generation and that they're literally Mm. living off their phone. They get all their news content Mm. on the phone. Yeah. Uh, Surely that will that will affect visual literacy, though. No, in the long term. I mean, basically, what you're doing is you're, already, you're, dumb, you're, you're dumbing down. It already has. <laughs> you, you, I can't know, tell I, you how many people. I'm a grumpy old man at this stage. I can't tell you how many people I actually point point my finger at <laughs> when I see them walking along the street with phones, looking and t- texting on their phone and not looking where they're bloody going. I want yeah. to smack them. <laughs> but I could be up for well, yeah, but assault. Uh, it, people have been saying this for years as well. Though, it's that, worse that now. the website. But in terms of people's attention spans and all that stuff, and you know, the, I, I remember ten years ago people saying, "Oh, the future of television is the web series or the short mm-hmm. ten series." But but it never happened. I don't know if it is or if it's going to be well, still. That was my point, though. Mm-hmm. What they used to say about mobile phones that everybody yeah. was going to look for short films on mobile yeah. phones and. We worked with a couple of people uh, to try and keep that, get that going, mm. and the results were never what's the word, never sufficient to really make it worth your while. Yeah. Um, but I do feel streaming is proving the case for people's interest in short film watching, and I think if Quibi comes along with really good content, mm. then. You know, it could be a game changer. Yeah, I do. I, th- I think he's he's onto something. Yeah, and he's a smart guy. Yeah, mm. but there will always be people will still want long. Oh yeah, it's oh, a yeah. good term for it. Snacking kind yeah. of thing. That, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Good name. Yeah. For it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about these? <laughs> what about these young people who uh, sit down and watch Once Upon a Time in America or The Irishman in the future? Like what I mean by that is in terms of their attention spans. It will, you know, surely we're 
breeding a generation of, like I said, visual illiteracy and, 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 and adding to the problem with something like that as opposed to trying to encourage people to do the previous, you know, which is most important. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel that um, people, kids should watch as many short films as possible. Uh, if they you know, have an interest in filmmaking or want to get into the business, it's a really good place. It's the, it's the initial place to start. And um, the way you learn how to make a good short film, as you know, Paul, mm-hmm. you still have to learn, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm still learning. Much to learn, he has. <laughs> <laughs> but... but but um, the more short films you see and the more yeah. award-winning short films you see and you see what's special about them, I think, you know, it's like... There's no negatives, really. No, I don't think so. And I think it'll give them a, a thirst, hopefully, for seeing long-form features yeah. by, you know, uh, some of the guys who might have started making shorts who went on to make features. Mm. Um, I have a list here of some of the Irish sh- short filmmakers that we've worked with who've actually gone through that whole... Um, development hell and everything and ended up making their feature films Yeah, um, and I can talk about that later on but um, I think you know it's like the old days in RTE when Bill Harper was the film buyer and every Friday night he'd have um, a Bergman season or mm. he'd have um, you know uh, a French yeah. Godot season or yeah, something yeah. and that's where I learned about you know, international film and uh, independent foreign language film. And um, we don't probably see that anymore. Mm. Uh, and I think there's still a market for it. And I know that there are streaming services that we've tried to work with. One of them was Fandor, which was a, a world cinema streaming service, mm. which specialised primarily in feature films. So they would have had everything from Chinese specialist Chinese award-winning films to Indian films, you know, to French films and so on. Mm. Uh, classics going back to the 50s. And they took on some of our short films and we got some, uh, I think we only got advances from those guys. There wasn't a rev share because they were never sure just how popular these would be. But unfortunately, that particular uh, company had to go out of business last year. Right. Um but there's something around the corner, I believe, that's you know going to provide an alternative to it, and okay. I think, yeah, um, I think that's what probably Canopy are doing on the short film side at this stage. We also have our f- short films on Amazon, um, and we're experimenting with a couple of other small streaming platforms that are trying to, uh, you know, promote short films and interest in short films. Yeah, I guess the future, in a way, of those kind of platforms is as curators rather yeah. than, you know, trying to be all things to all men. So you'll have, like, a Mubu that does, you yeah. know, kind of niche yeah. films and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, could you... We were at an event recently and you had a very... You were speaking and uh, you had a very handy do's and don'ts list for mm-hmm. uh, for filmmakers who want to get their shorts distributed. Maybe you could give us some of those. Um, well, the biggest issue we have with filmmakers, I think, short filmmakers and even documentary makers, is the use of music mm. in uh, in films as soundtracks or whatever. And uh, some, f- I suppose, less experienced filmmakers aren't aware that you can't just take commercial music um, and put it on your soundtrack without going to a publishing house and saying you have the rights to this music and this version of this track uh, of this recording of this song we want to use it for 30 seconds in this film or maybe on the soundtrack of this film Um, and you've got to do that in advance of the film if they think you've finished the film and the music is already on the soundtrack you're over a barrel. You don't have much negotiating ability. Right. Uh, and there's been so many experiences of, oh, 
it it just wrecks your head. Um, yeah. We had a well-known filmmaker who, uh, I'll only just give you a vague outline, but he used <laughs> a, a commercial recording of a very famous artist at the uh, closing credits of his film and send your answers on a postcard, please. Uh, and we listened and looked at the film, which we loved. And then I said, by the way, um, you've used this artist's commercial music at the very end and you've used the entirety of the song. Um, Over the whole credits. Yeah. Have you actually gotten clearance for that? Because they could have. And the producer came back and said, no, actually, we're going to be doing that. Now, we have festival clearance uh, for the first year. And we'll go back and negotiate a, a commercial clearance. And I said, OK, uh, well, I think given who it is and so on, my estimate is it'll be about $10,000. And mm. I think it was, it started at 15, but they got it down to 10. But like... Um, could have been avoided. And they could have substituted the song at the, at the yeah, end, yeah. after the festival run. Yeah. But the, it was the director's choice to keep it on and and pay for it yeah and you know uh, and that's 10 grand he could have had yeah yeah yeah. Um, and even if we had an example the other day where uh, a producer sent us a very good documentary which follows various people on their journey and uh, you're you're at home in their base and suddenly there's music on the radio that they're listening to Mm. and any music that's featured in those films has to be put on the music cue sheet. There's some exceptions made by the publishers if the music is not heard for longer than 20 seconds, I believe. You can probably get away without having to pay any royalty. Okay. But if you've gone out of your way to actually play that music to mm. enhance the show, mm. then there's the piper to be paid. Okay. So uh, I'm assuming that loophole... Um, exists also in, in soaps because if you notice in soaps there's music in the background a lot of the time you can identify it for a second but then of course probably only goes to about 10-15 seconds Well the advantage that the broadcasters have like mm. this was a, a film that was made for RTE and I've assumed that the producer and I said this to him look I assume you used the RTE blanket agreement to cover the use of any um extraneous music that creeps yeah, into the so show they would they would have an exactly Imro or they yeah, pay yeah, a, a, yeah. do a package deal yeah. every year here's our license for you know incidental music like that so editors in RT are spoiled that they yeah. can yeah. use that music yeah. so they kind of get into bad habits I think yeah. and that they're they, they're editing to the, to the music then and then when they do have the option then to come and they could put in other music, but then it's like a house of cards. Then they nearly have to re-edit the whole thing. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Mm. Have you you've found that? Yeah, this. I mean, there are hopefully ways around it mm. if the show is good enough. Mm. But um, that's one of the key issues: use of music in your show. Mm. And if you're going to use commercial music in advance, or you know what commercial music you want to use in advance, go to the publisher first and clear it. Mm clear it, uh, what's the word, um, in principle, and then decide if you want to use it or if you have to use it. But you can even get cover music of great artists and, you know. Yeah. Anyway, there was a strive or a, a, a drive for <laughs> authenticity here and that's why that happened. Welcome but to our How to Save 10 Grand episode <laughs> of FNI Rap Chat. Music aside, is there any other? Well, the other thing is Actually, um, <laughs> if you're making a short film or a, a feature, obviously, from uh, an adaptation of a book or, you know, if the source material is not original, mm. if you're not the writer, director, you've got to clear the rights to the... I think most people understand that, the rights to the yeah. short story yeah. or the, the book or whatever. What would a ballpark would people be looking to? I, I suppose it depends on the success of the book, right? Yeah, that's something I don't know. It really is, uh, you know, it is uh, a bit of a lottery, I'd say, and it depends on who yeah. the publishing house is. If it's a book, 
or who the agent is or the estate, yeah. um, you know, have rights over all of these things. They need, like filmmakers need to make it as clean for you as possible yeah. and, and attractive exactly. for you yeah. and then f- to make your life easier, bringing it to your your network of yeah, TV because stations. we have to warrant to our film our uh, broadcasters that there are no uh, legal issues to do with the music or the source material or yeah. the actors used or any of that. That's the responsibility of mm. the producer. Um, he signs off with us that everything is in order. Mm. You know, otherwise we'd never be able to uh, represent material. Um, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Um, just going to ask a, a general question. What's your favourite film from your body of work that you've that you've backed? Or can you pick a favourite son from your large family? No. Um, and why, I guess? Yeah, I, I, I think uh, one of the more recent favourites was a short film from um, two filmmakers in Belfast, Brian Faulkner and Michael Lennox, called Boogaloo and Graham, which I hope you've seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I first saw it in Galway uh, four years ago. And I thought it was one of the best short films I'd seen in a long time, but also it was certainly the best film I saw in Galway that year. And I approached Christine Morrow, who is working for Northern Ireland Screen on the short film side, and she happened to have her the director, Michael Lennox, beside her. And I said, Michael, I really love your film. I think it's it's great. I think it's going to do very well. And the reason I liked it was because, I don't know if you recall the film, but it starts off Belfast, 1986, in a caption, and then you see these squaddies doing their patrols around Belfast lanes and side streets and so on. And you say to yourself, oh, God, not another... Oh, here we go again. Not another Mm. Troubles short film. And then the camera moves up a wall and you're looking into the back garden of a nearby house and there's a cardboard box on the ground and um, Marty McCann (laughs) is about to open the box to reveal what's in in it to his wife and two young kids. And... You're saying, oh, God, he's built a bomb now and he's going to blow the guys up from <laughs> us. And then you see there's two chickens in the box. <laughs> so a lovely misdirection. Exactly. Yeah. And it totally confounds your expectations. I love the surprise. Mm. Yeah. And it goes on from there to be just a great little film. Yeah. And it was nominated for a, uh, an Oscar that year. And um, Brian has gone on to make numerous more short films, but... Uh, just last Christmas we met him in Dublin at the screening of Ordinary Love Mm. which he produced which Mm. is his first feature film and it features no less uh, uh, an array of actors than Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville Mm -hmm. and it's a it's a great little yeah a friend of mine was a script uh, consultant oh really yeah Yeah. he's really yeah he's really on the way up and his his film Dig as well they're very well that was really good. And then Michael Lennox, the director, also made a feature film, which I liked. Uh, I don't think it's gone very many places. But apart from making his first feature, he's also made two series of Dairy Girls, oh, uh, he directed which okay. has been a wonderful success. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Explains a lot, that light, yeah. lightness of touch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And... They're saying now there could be Derry Girls, the movie, although I'd say they'll have a third season before mm. they do um, a Mrs. Brown's Boys. <laughs> 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 and do you... So you, you're on the trial, on, on the hunt for uh, short films. Prospector. You know? I'm feeling the prospector. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you find... Do you, know, do you still get a buzz when you see that film that you're like, yes, I want this one? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, just some of the diamonds shine through and um, Boogaloo is definitely one of them. Um, the The phone call in the same year as Boogaloo was nominated, the phone call was nominated from an English director, mm-hmm. Matt Kirkby, who used to work in... Um, in an ad agency in London connected to 
the great English director Ridley Scott who's still making movies at 80 something mm. every year he makes a film he's amazing yeah. mm. but he had uh, he also had his ad agency and he has Scott Free Productions and Matt made this film that featured um, Jim Broadbent's voice and uh, Sally Hawkins in the lead role and she was just fantastic and um, we watched they came to us with the film which was great and we we watched it. We really thought it was special. And uh, we said, we'll work with you on this and we'll also help you with the festival run. And that was in October 2014. And for the first six months, we couldn't get this film arrested. Right. We were sending it to all the mainstream festivals. It wasn't getting recognised. We said to ourselves, is, is it us? Is there something wrong with this film? What's yeah. this great film? What, why... Anyway, then it started to click. It was picked for Tribeca. It won at Tribeca in April. And then it won at um, Odense, Dresden, and one other German festival. So four festivals in a row. And then it was nominated later in the year. And um, it went on to win the Oscar. So that was, I mean, it's thrilling to find those films and to see talent like that just coming to the fore that so you there's, there's, you no ma- there's no magic formula um, no I think like uh, you know the key thing with uh, my interest in short films uh, the key thing as I said at that seminar was I like narrative short films that have a start a middle and an end and there's some resolution Yeah, uh, you get so many short films and they start in the middle and end Mm, yeah, I, I mean, there's no, there's no ending. It's like mm. you're up in the air. You say, "What was that supposed?" Doesn't to Doesn't feel satisfying. No, no. well, they're, they're proof of co- a lot of a lot of the time. It's a, <clears throat> it's a, you know, a, a bigger idea condensed into a smaller format. Yeah. So it's a proof of concept. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. If um, say you would get a lot of your films from fe- film festivals, but maybe there are films that would fall under your radar. What could a filmmaker do? How do they get in touch? Uh, what can they do to make your life easier and getting it to you? <laughs> well, he, he'll, be the, he'll be in the market in Balbrig and sell, <laughs> selling DVDs out of his boot <laughs> on Saturday mornings. Well, last, I, Saturday, last Sunday of every month. Well, I do live on the north side. <laughs> north side for Not as far too, north right? as Balbriggan, I have to say. <laughs> but, Me neither. But, but uh, um, I think the, the key thing we ask filmmakers is uh, can you send us a link to the film? Mm. and will you send us your marketing strategy in terms of festivals or if you've already some of them would have mm-hmm. already started the festival yeah. circuit I suppose if you've had any awards already exactly yeah. that's really of interest to us and um, does that make a difference does it, it, if, if it has a bit of traction yeah it helps us yeah. make a decision on whether there's an interest in it in the marketplace and whether we think our buyers would go for it we look at films as much, you know, we can enjoy them personally and so on and admire the, 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 the acting talent and the directing skill and whatever. But if, if the film sort of leaves you a little indifferent, mm. um, I think that's uh, for the first bad sign. And then we have to say to ourselves, as we always do, which of our buyers overseas will actually look at this film and say, I want to show this to my audience. Yeah. And so we have to really be the interpreter of what our international buyers would look for. And they have worked with us successively over 10 or 20 years, a lot of them. And we've gotten to know what their taste level is. Yeah. They've gotten to know the fact that we are hopefully a company that really looks to have high quality programming and really top notch short films in our catalogue. Mm. And the nicest thing we can hear at some of the markets is when the buyers say, oh, our whole office loves your short films. You uh, always present some of the best shorts mm. that we ever see. Mm. And uh, these are the guys who like HBO Eastern Europe uh, will probably buy about 10 or 12 shorts from us mm. every season. Mm. And, you know, we almost know the type of narrative short that they like. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's it's always uh, it's always great to see a top-notch film that, you know, you discover for the first time or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it's also terribly frustrating when you see a film maybe a little later than you might mm. and you go looking for it and the the producer says, I'm sorry, we've already done a deal with one of your competitors. But that's, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and you might not go for a film. It's not to say that the film is bad, but you just know what's, what will work for your yeah. buyers. And a lot of it still comes down, and this is an issue we touched on earlier, and it's one of the do's and don'ts. I say don't make mini epics. Mm. You know, proof of concept doesn't necessarily mean a successful short film. Mm. It just might mean you're able to do a great battle scene or whatever, mm. or a fight scene. Um, the, uh, the, the original preferred length, when we started selling shorts, like Three Joes was 30 minutes. The first shortcuts that really took off in the first season of shortcuts was Damien O'Donnell's 35 Aside. Mm. And that was 30 minutes long. Yeah. But that went out and did an amazing run at international festivals. And it just clicked everywhere. Yeah. So much so that we had the most unusual experience where we had an auction going on between Channel 4 and BBC in England to buy the film. Mm. And um, I think for for reasons... Uh, and Channel 4, were, were when they set up in 82... Where was it? Eighty two. Maybe they were there earlier. Um, were oh, eighty two? Were really champions of short films and particularly short animation. You never see anything like that on I, except those random acts which they put out, which are absolute nonsense. <laughs> I don't know if you see any of them. No, no. Um, it's their it's their contribution to short films at the moment. And, okay. Because um, coming up used to be they. Used to, yeah. yeah, they used to, um, what's the word, champion mm. Mm. rising <coughs> directors and yeah. so on. Yeah. And they've had a couple of Irish directors in those, you know, in those schemes mm. over the years. And would you, would you consider yourself a, like a traditionalist in that regard? You want a strong narrative. Yeah. Beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah, Interesting we, characters. We can't sell. Yeah, exactly. And that's what our buyers want. Mm. Experimental doesn't work. We can't give them away. <laughs> and we've tried very nicely shot, beautiful looking yeah. dance shorts and things like that. Uh, but even you were saying, doc- saying before that you don't have that many short documentaries. They don't, for some reason, your buyers don't tend to go. And then, and, and then Paul Webster came <laughs> along with a fantastic <laughs> short documentary. And broke the mould. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, we, we used to put out a separate... DVD, this is going back 10, 12 years, on short documentaries. And there was uh, an Irish film board short doc scheme. I know they've still kept one on, but I think there was maybe more shorts Mm. being made under those schemes in Mm. those days. And so there was maybe 10 shorts every year, short docs. And the first few DVDs, collections that we put out to our buyers, there was a big pickup. I mean, maybe 40%. Um, yeah. which was great but then it started to just diminish and I think you know I think it's a whole programming issue I think um, so of late we've started to bring them back and we're doing it very selectively and we're just hoping that there will be pick up I mean we still know that we can sell short documentaries to um, the airlines mm. And we can sell them through Canopy, who have an interest, mm. you know, in their uh, in some of the subjects that would be in the short docs that we have. But what's been happening in Europe uh, generally with our regular buyers is they've been squeezed by the streamers. Okay. So Netflix have uh, really damaged the subscription rates of people like Canal Plus. Mm. Um, there were. Th- there were th- universal. There were three broadcasters in Italy who used to buy our short films on a regular basis. We don't have any left anymore. Okay. Their budgets were shot, or by their bosses, or they've literally gone out of business. Mm. Or I think one of them was bought by Sky, and they're not going to show short films anymore. We used to have SBS in Australia, one of the alternative channels down there, public channels 
um, used to buy shorts, international shorts and show Australian shorts on a regular basis until three years ago they announced they were shutting up shop on shorts shutting up shop on shorts and haven't bought a short film or haven't showed an Australian short film ever since Wow! Um, <coughs> so you know it's a question of pressure on budgets and also um, I think with Canal Plus they're sort of having to show more French shorts to keep their audience held yeah. and I think the the thing we're seeing is unless your film is winning uh, major festivals and whatever or you know ultimately wins the Oscar we've had buyers say to us uh, we like that film but my boss tells me he won't let me buy it unless it wins an Oscar what? <laughs> and so you know <laughs> yeah. that's difficult yeah. um, so we, we, we you know we look for alternative avenues to place our shorts and would can I uh, yeah can I, say if there's a, a particular piece of work that you you you've no great affinity for and but you see the commercial viability of it is that something like that, that's ostensibly what you've referenced there like have you ever have you ever overruled something like that insofar as I really should be going for this because it's commercially very viable, but I just don't think it's a great story? There was a, an English film, no, a Northern, an, English, an English produced film set in Northern Ireland and it's called Wren Boys, the film, right? I don't know if you saw it. It showed in Galway and um, it... It had very well-known Irish actors, Lala Roddy, whatever. Um, Lala Roddy? Yeah, 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 fine actor. Yeah, and a few other really, you know, good actors. It was really well-made. But I just... And, and it went on to win a BAFTA. And the filmmakers whom I liked uh, kept saying, would you not consider this? It's getting into all these festivals and it's doing that and it's doing this. I said, you know what? I don't like this film. I don't like the tone of this film. I don't like the fact that there's a, there's a faux rape in the film of two males. I, I, I just thought it was offensive. Yeah. And I just said to myself, and the, the office kept saying, what do you think? Maybe it's, it's won the BAFTA. You know, it's yeah. like, but it's yeah. not to my taste. So. No. And, and I said, listen, guys, we have to remember that 95% of our buyers are female. Mm. Most of the shorts buyers that we deal with Mm. are women mm. uh, and I said if I was a woman and I was shown this film I'd be probably sick mm. after it so mm. I <laughs> and I'm, I, I don't usually reference things that we haven't taken on but that was an example of a fine film in terms of its production and yeah. so on but I just felt it wasn't going to work for our audience uh, which is a group of primarily female buyers mm. so for two reasons yeah. you, number one you didn't want to alienate your audience no and personally, you didn't. Li you, no. you weren't on board. No, I just didn't want to mm. be associated with it yeah. because of its theme and its tone. That's my yeah, which is a personal taste, exactly. and, and and no reflection necessarily no. On, on on the end product no. of, of the no. film. You did, and if uh, the filmmakers are listening, I've told them we'd always look at whatever else they make in the future because they can make short films. We know that absolutely. Yeah. 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 That yeah. wasn't um, detainment. When did you come on? That was quite a controversial film, but in a different way. And did you? And we've had Vincent on the show, yeah, right, and yeah. he's also spoke at events that we 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 run sure, as well. Sure. But it's a film that's not not for everyone, and as it turned out. But how how was it? Something. What excited you about that film? And what and say what stage did you come on board? I saw the film in Galway. It was the last film screened in package of shorts that day and I was blown away by the film I just said wow and I remember the case really clearly yeah and I knew it was an horrific situation and so on and I just found it hard to believe that a filmmaker could actually recreate that so perfectly mm -hmm. as it might have as it must have been based on the public transcripts and mm -hmm. so on and I remember Brian Walsh who is in RTE and is responsible ultimately for the shorts buying that, that goes on there. And he came out to me and said, wow, 
where are we going to play that? But he said, what a, what a great film. And so I was on board from the beginning. Uh, I was I was sort of, I mean, I was aware that, you know, uh, the controversy might have simmered over the years, mm. but I didn't realise that it was going to kick off again. Mm. And mm. Um, the difficulty... I also saw that film was the fact that it was running for nearly 30 minutes. Yeah, it's a long one, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and that, you know, is like we would have said early days, 30 minutes, um, three Joes, uh, five as, uh, 35 aside, that was the length they were. And we worked with that. But over the t- last 20 years, less is more. Mm. And particularly for the um, the film channels who usually unfortunately use short films as fillers mm-hmm. so they have 15 minutes between the end of one film and the start of another and they use a good short film to fill the gap um, and so anything a lot of our buyers tell us anything longer than 17 minutes don't even show us because we can't program them we don't have our strands for short films there's very few channels anywhere in the world do uh, SBS used to have a 30 minute strand and they'd probably try and get three short films mm-hmm. into that that's no longer uh, screening and so um, I knew that a 30 minute film was going to be a difficult sell to our broadcasters but I did feel it was going to do really well at festivals and um, I thought as the controversy built and as you know, the situation started to really get more difficult for Vincent and the film. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was coming up to the Oscar nominations. I said, you know what, hold hold your nerve here because um, whatever anyone thinks of, you know, the, the theme of the film or whatever, they can see how brilliantly put together this film is. As a, as a, I mean, it's a little marvel of a short film, I think. Mm. And it doesn't feel like 30 minutes when you're watching it. Um, And so it was nominated and, um, you know, the rest is history. Uh, I suspect that even though the controversy spread to the States, I don't think it was as intrusive over there as it was on British media. Mm -hmm. But it was everywhere on British media. And that poor mother was, you know, she was determined to drive this to the bitter end as she had done previously mm. uh, when people had made documentaries about the subject. And I sent the film to Ben Fro in uh, Channel 5 in the UK, whom I'd known from his time in TV3 here. Uh, and he's now head of Channel 5. And I said, Ben, you are courageous enough to screen a one-hour documentary on this subject last November. This was about end of January this time. <coughs> Last year, I said, uh, would you do me a favor and have a look at the film and see, is there any way you could? He came back the same day by email and said, Derry, thanks for sending it on. I was aware of the controversy. And to be honest, this film is too challenging for us to consider putting on the channel at this stage. Yeah. After the blowback we had from the previous one. Right. So. Uh, yeah, it's been difficult, and uh, but we sold it to Arte, who loved the film, mm-hmm. and they've just picked it up now for their digital SVOD platform. Okay, mm. and um, it's still winning awards. It won an award yesterday. Did it? Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a European somewhere else. Yeah. So I don't know where he is. is now. Yeah, like I guess, and in, the, in these aisles, it's still a very touchy subject. Yeah. But I guess in Eastern Europe and France and places like people don't. They just see it as cinema, I yeah. guess. Yeah, and the acting of the kids is just oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, so, but that's you know, uh, we were delighted to be associated with the film, but virtue of the fact that it lived up to what we thought might be the case, it was mm. good enough to be nominated. Yeah. For you also have to be objective. Yeah, uh, yeah, with any source material, you know, to yeah. a degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I. You know, I, I didn't agree with the argument, oh, you should have asked the family. Mm. I mean, 
well, they're, public tra- they're public transcripts as well. Though. Exactly. And he knew why, if I asked the family, they're just going to say no. She has a track record of mm. yeah. objecting to everything that's ever been said, uh, that ever suggested. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's awful the way they publicly crucified him. When they set him up on Ireland AM, uh, not Ireland AM, on morning AM. Yeah. It was such a hatchet he, job. He handled it well, I thought, given... Given the circumstances. He was under a yeah. real... A real uh, intense pressure from the media. Yeah, know, so. yeah. It's a really interesting ethical debate. It's one of those ones that if you're at a festival and it comes up, gets people going. It's very heated. You know, it's a it's a tricky one. Yeah, like I've had many conversations about it with people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of those films. on both sides of yeah, the yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I I kind of thought it would win the Oscar. So often with Oscars, the more talked about a film it is, the more likely it is to win. So you know, no bad blood publicity and all that stuff. But it's it's a it's a really fascinating case study. It'd be interesting one to look at back in five years and see I, I how it all played out. I, yeah. I think it's a victim of its own success and also of its form as mm. well. Because it's not something people can debate because they haven't seen it. Yeah. True. It's not out there. You know, a lot of people have made up their mind about it and it's an open and shut case in their eyes because you know, they've just seen all the negativity, but they haven't seen it. Like watch it. The but lads head stuff put out a tweet about our uh, episode with Vincent Lamb and oh, yeah. uh, th- just a tweet about an old episode because it had gone out way before the Oscar nomination. Yeah, I, inter- I interviewed him like a couple of months into the wow. run of the festival run. And the vitriol that was on this just this tweet about an old episode of a podcast <laughs> that's very neat. Uh, and just you know, reams and reams and reams of people just giving out about uh, are you know really caustic. Not really aiming anything at us, but just, no, just very personally attacking attacking him, the film, yeah. and, and the, him, the idea of making the film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mad. think the uh, I mean I think the Academy selectors were right in picking it as one of the best made films that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Academy members got nervous when they saw a lot of the controversy that spread into the US. You know, I think that would have been one of the reasons why it mightn't have yeah. won the Oscar. But yeah. anyway. Sure it was there anyway. Yeah. Okay, we could just literally chat for the next five and a half hours. So are you ready? Do you want to <laughs> do you want to hear some of the people whose short films we've represented who've gone on to greater Go things? On. Absolutely. Yeah. We've mentioned Good news. Lenny Abramson. Yeah. Three Joes. Obviously he's done The Room. Garage way back, The Little Stranger with Donald Gleeson recently. Damien O'Donnell, 35 aside. He's made three or four features now. East is East, Inside I'm Dancing. John Butler, he made Spaceman 3 as a short with Pat Short. Wow. He's obviously gone on to make Handsome Devil. Ian Fitzgibbon, he had a great short a few years ago called Breakfast Wine, but he had previously made Perrier's Bounty and he's just made Dark Lies the Island, which is coming out, I think it's in the Dublin Film Festival. Uh, Nessa Hardiman, mm. lovely lady, mm. two shorts that we represented when she did them under the film board schemes, Olive and Pluck. And she's done a lot of TV drama in the meantime. Jessica Jones, she's made three episodes on. Yeah. Westworld, would you believe? Happy Valley. Yeah. And she's just brought out her first feature film, Sea Fever, which is again on in the Dublin Film Festival. Peter Foote. Mm. Yeah. The Carpenter and His Clumsy Wife, which was, I thought, a bit misogynistic. But anyway, <laughs> we repped it and <laughs> we got some business on it. He's a repeat uh, offender. Well, exactly. And then, you know, Young Offenders, TV series and movie, Brian Faulkner and Michael Lennox, I've mentioned. Here's one uh, that's more recent. Um, Daniel O'Hara, a lovely guy, made a way back a lovely film, Osgelga, called You Ming Asanam Dum. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was one of the best uh, mm. so comedies. Clever. So mm. clever. And went everywhere, it really mm. did. And so... Um, Frank, and he, Frank Kelly, obviously. Yeah. He made a lovely film that um, Stephen Ray remembers fondly called Fluent Dysphasia. Oh, I remember, With yeah. Paddy, mm-hmm. Paddy, Paddy, um, Come on, Paddy. Brannock? No. Paddy. Paddy. Is it actor? Or yeah, actor. Voiceover artist. Oh, he lives down the road from me. <laughs> Sorry, he'll, he'll, he'll forgive you. He knows yeah. who he is. Um, <laughs> a very good writer. He writes a lot of kids' shows and so on. Anyway, Daniel has just made The Stranger, 
which opened last night on your Netflix, Logan Netflix. He made that. Oh, very good. He made it, an, eight, an eight-part Netflix drama that features Stephen Ray, among uh, other actors. Um, and uh, we have also had the opposite situation where uh, a, a well-known writer-director who had been nominated for um, the Oscars twice, Terry George, uh, he was... Um, he was trying to put a short film together eight years ago and we, we got the script in and he said, what do you think of the script? We were working with his daughter Orla who produced the, the short and uh, I said, I really like the script. It's got a lot going for it and so on. And he made um, The Shore, which went on to be nominated for an Oscar. Uh, it was shot in Ireland. And, was uh, Kieran Hines in that? Kieran Hines, exactly. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, won the Oscar that year. So he had come from already having his Oscar nominations for the writing. Mm. Uh, Going with, back. With right. Jim and so on, yeah. Yeah. Some other son, I think, was one okay. of them. So if, if, somebody, if somebody has a great short film. In their heads. Well, I was going to say on celluloid or on digital, go to you. Oh, yeah. We'd be very interested. We look at everything we possibly can. We get a lot of submissions mm-hmm. on a consistent basis, and we. But you're always the shop's always open. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Great. Terry, thanks so much. Uh, it was great chatting to you, and um, yeah. So you're if people want to, you're more than welcome. So the website is uh, networktelevisionireland.com. Network hyphen television. IRL-TV.com Very okay. good. Uh, and we'd be more than happy to uh, look at anybody's feature films. We're, we're trying to avoid getting into the script thing unless you're yeah. a Terry George or somebody. But um, yeah. otherwise, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely look at everything we can, we can see. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Really appreciate it. Thanks.